Thank you for listening to this week's message from Go Church. We hope it encourages you today. For more information about Go Church, check us out online at letsgo.church. We hope you enjoy today's message. We are finishing our series today, Can I Really Trust the Bible? Bring us to an important theological question. I want you to think about this. How many of you know someone in your life who is super picky about what they wear in their shoes? Do you know somebody like this? If you do, can I I see a hand? You're unashamed. Are you married to this person? Be careful. Be careful. So both of my sons, Ethan and Levi, are particular now about what they wear. They've got some serious style, in my opinion. But if you go all the way back to early childhood days, Levi was much more picky than Ethan about all things clothing. So this is Levi over here. Of course, both of them right here, Ethan and Levi. So Levi, ever since he was very, very young, I mean, elementary school, we could go shopping for shoes, take both the boys. Ethan's done in like two seconds. Does it fit first pair? What color? Don't care. Just, I'm good. Totally good. Levi's like, no, 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 don't like it. We're into the third or fourth store, you know, and finally we find something that he really likes. He's always been very particular. So Levi comes into the kitchen one day. I remember this feeling. And he had one of these outfits that he had put together. He's proud of it. And normally, you know, it's dripping, it's swag, it's good, it's style, it's fire, all the stuff. I looked at him and I was like, you going to wear that? And he goes with a little smirk and a little attitude. He's like, you can't judge me. Yes, I'm going to wear this. And he kind of keeps pushing on. You can't judge me. You can't tell me what to do. You can't dictate, moderate my style. I mean, he starts going and going and going, taking a riff on this. And so we're laughing. It's good. It's fun. And so I want you to think about this. The people in your life that are very stylish, super picky about their clothes. They don't care what anybody thinks. They're going to do what they do, and they're proud of it. I respect the independence. You know, I respect the going out. They're going to do your thing. But it got me thinking a little bit about judging because we can be a little judgy sometimes. In church, sometimes we can be, as Christians, I think sometimes we can be, maybe even as humans, I think we can be a little too quick to judge in a hurtful or a wrong way. So I've been thinking about judging. I went to the internet to see what internet thinks about this. And I had a few things that popped up that I thought was funny. Let's look at this first one. This ministered to me. I mean, just in general, I think the ice cream sandwich is underrepresented in how special it is. Do you, does anybody love an ice cream sandwich in here? You're unashamed. You know, we never talk about the sandwich. It's always the cone that gets all the glory. But I, ah, this is minister to me. Let's go to the next one. This one also touched my heart a little bit. Don't judge me because I sin differently than you. Don't judge me because of that. And then the last one, you know, sometimes this happens in real life. True friends don't judge each other. They judge other people together. We can be a little judgy sometimes. I want us to get into this idea today. Is it okay to judge? Should we? What does the Bible say about this idea What should we be doing, not doing as we finish our series? Can I really trust the Bible? Because if we do, and if the Bible has some very clear things to say about this, what are the implications? What if the Bible teaches us to do something that we're uncomfortable doing, like having patience with people? I don't like that. What if the Bible teaches something that's difficult? Just because it's difficult, 
or just because it's uncomfortable, do we say, nah, I don't like that part. Rip, rip, rip that out. Mark that out. Blot it out. Don't do it. So I want us to think about the implications today as we finish this series on judging. Brings us to the one big thing. Write this down. Get your communication card. Write this down. Write across the top. Before I judge others, I will look at myself. All right? Before I judge others, I will look at myself. I want to read it one more time. And when we get to the very last part, I want you to say this. Look at myself together. Let's try it. Before I judge others, I will look at myself. That's good. All right, here we go. What does the Bible say about this? Judging. From outfits to clothes to makeup to decisions, political stances, Christian, non-Christian. What does the Bible say about judging? Here it is. Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. Do not judge. Let's say that together. Do not judge. Or you too will be judged. There are people... In life, maybe you've heard these people, they don't believe that God even exists, but they believe the scripture. Don't judge me. You can't judge what I, you judge and you too will be judged. Don't even believe God exists, but they believe in this verse. I mean, obviously, if you just read this verse, I mean, it's like, oh, all right, it's pretty clear. Do not judge or you too will be judged. Okay, well. Case closed, drop the mic, we're done. Let's go watch football. We could probably watch the very end of the Broncos game right now in London. Hopefully they're winning. I don't know. Don't tell me. But at Go Church, if you've been here, especially the last five weeks, you know we don't just read a scripture and that's it, right? We don't do it that way. It can be dangerous that way. So if you were here last week, you learned three things. If you were not here last week, you're about to learn three things, maybe for the first time. It's three principles on how to understand and use the Bible. Sometimes the Bible can feel complicated and thick. I mean, it's a big book. It can feel intimidating because there's all this history and trying to figure some of the stuff out. But I want you to remember today what Mark Twain said about the Bible. He said, it's not the parts of the Bible that I don't understand that bother me. It's the parts that I do. Just start with, I'm going to love God with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength, and I'm going to love my neighbor as myself. Just start there, and that will take you like a year to really figure that out. So sometimes it's complicated. Sometimes it's not that complicated. But three principles to understand the Bible. Write this first one down on your communication card. The first one, I will see the big picture. Write it down. I will see the big picture. So last week we talked about having an actual Bible. So in my hand, I have an actual Bible. Now I have many versions of the Bible on my phone, the Bible app. All kinds of versions. This one happens to be New International Version. And this is a Bible that we gave away to some graduating seniors, some teenagers, many, many weeks ago. So this is a teen life application study Bible. So if you're going to read Matthew 7.1, what book of the Bible is that? Yeah, I'm not going to trick you. You're like, I'm not sure. Jesus. Is that the answer? Uh, <laughs> y'all got nervous. Matthew, yes. 
So Matthew. So if you're in Matthew, you're like, okay, I'm going to read some stuff in Matthew. What would be a good idea? What would be a good idea is to take your study Bible and open it up to Matthew. In this particular Bible, you would see this, this page. Now on this page, like look on the right-hand side, you start to see stuff like, what's the purpose of this book? Who wrote the book? Okay, it is Matthew, but also known as Levi. The audience is very important. If you think back to some of the earlier weeks in this series, we talked about Jesus fulfilling Old Testament prophecy. So this gospel out of the four, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Matthew is the one that is really serious about showing how Jesus fulfills Old Testament prophecy because the audience is the Jewish people who care an enormous about with the Old Testament. So these are very, very interesting things to keep in mind. So the setting, key people, key places, timeline, key points. You want to see the big picture before you just start reading things to understand where you're at. So this teen life application study Bible. So I am wondering in this moment, is there a teenager here today that would love to have this Bible? I'm looking for a teenager in the house who would love to have, you're my son, you don't count, I'm sorry. I really appreciate the unction, but I got you a Bible at home, it's all good, I already got you one. Is there any, any other teenager in the house that, yes? All right, come on up here, grab this Bible, I appreciate you. Ethan, I love you, you do count in all ways, but I got you. believe me, I got you, all right? I'm proud of you. All right, so we are going to... Remember the big picture. Second thing, write this down. We're going to use Scripture to interpret Scripture. This is reminding yourself that context is king. We never just read a Scripture in and of itself. We want to understand what's happening before. We want to understand what's happening after the verse. We always read before and after. We always work hard to understand how does this fit into what's happening around it. Just like you wouldn't watch a movie and define the movie, the entire movie, by one five-second clip. It just doesn't make any sense. You've got to see the context, the big story. How does it fit? So Matthew chapter 7, verse 1 fits into stuff that's happening in the chapter before. And in this case, as you go through the chapter. So we are going to use Scripture to interpret Scripture. And the last thing, I will live what I learn. The Bible is meant to be applied. It is not just an intellectual exercise. It is meant to be lived out. So let's just do this. Let's take the things that we've learned. Let's take Matthew chapter 7 and let's apply what we've learned. So let's look back. This is Matthew 7.1. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. This is in the Bible. So if you were to take your teen life application Bible, all right, and if you were to read Matthew chapter 6, you would see that Jesus is just hammering on how nasty and evil and annoying hypocrisy is. He's going off on it. In verse 2, verse 5, Verse 16, he's going off very specifically about the religious leaders, people who should know better, doing one thing, saying another, trying to look a certain special way to be recognized when on the inside it's not true. He's going off about it, how hypocrisy is anti-heart of God, hammering 
on hypocrisy. So here we go. We know that in Matthew chapter 6. Now we're rolling into Matthew chapter 7. So let's read this, but let's continue because we always read the Bible in context. Everyone say context. Context, always. Here we go. Do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same sense, I messed that up. Don't hate me. For in the same way you judge others, don't judge me. You might be able to later. We'll find out. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? Now, students in the house, a speck. Is a speck big or small? Small. So it's a very, very small thing. Check out the next verse. How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So if you read this in context, what you start to realize is Oh, wait, it's not evil or bad to judge. What's evil and bad is to be a hypocrite, to harp on everybody else's speck when I'm walking around with a two-by-four sticking out of my own eyeball, wanting to judge and pick on and point out all the little problems you might have in your eyeball when I won't even take the lumber out of my own. So you see how as you start to read this in context, it starts to come to life more. You say, no, wait a minute. He says, don't judge, but he also talks about, well, when you judge, it will be judged to you. There's some reciprocal nature to the way I behave with others. It will be done back to me. And the main point is don't be a hypocrite. So it's not even really necessarily about judging. It's about hypocrisy. So let's keep moving into this, all right? So we've discovered some biblical truth. We've read this in context. We've seen the big picture, and now we're going to live what we learn. Let's try to apply this. So as you read the Bible, you got to do this in real time. What difference does this make to my life? Information without transformation is depressing. <laughs> when you read the Bible, it is meant to be applied because it's alive, and it's God's Word. It's not static. And if we are unwilling to apply what we learn, it means something else. Man, maybe our heart is hard. Maybe we're too stubborn. So we're going to live out what we learn. So here's how it could look. Maybe you write this down in your head or on your notes. Here today, write it on your communication card. I will never judge hypocritically. So we're going to use Scripture to interpret Scripture. Let's see what else the Bible has to say about this idea of hypocrisy in judging. This is Romans chapter 2. Because we use Scripture to interpret Scripture, the Apostle Paul says this, You therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else. For at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself and then watch, because you who pass judgment do the same things. This is almost the exact same thing that Jesus is talking about. This hypocrisy or this hypocritical nature to point out somebody else's problem while you have your own problem. To gripe about everybody else but ignore yourself. But if you think about it, what are we good at as humans? Our typical tendencies, what are we good at? 
to pick on everybody else. We want to gripe about how that person drives and that person drives as we're cutting somebody off and giving them the one finger salute. It's like you just can't believe how everybody else is. We accuse everybody else, but we excuse ourselves. We're really good at noticing the speck. Speck. I see a speck. Maybe I'll tell them, maybe I won't. Maybe I'll tell somebody else. Did you know they got a speck? I saw a speck. In fact, speck. I see it. I got 20-20 speck vision. Here a speck, there a speck, everywhere a speck speck. I don't even know why that came into my What is that? That's old McDonald. <laughs> old Nick Speck, he had a farm. Here is Speck, there is Speck, everywhere is Speck, Speck. We're good at seeing the Specks, man. We see them everywhere while we look past the two by four sticking out of our face. That's what we do. That's our tendency is to let ourselves off the hook. We judge everybody else by their actions, but ourselves by our best intentions. If somebody else says something, I can't believe you would say that. That's so wrong. But then you say something the next day equally stupid or worse, and you're like, oh, come on, babe. You're overreacting. A lot of married couples just now are like, you're overreacting. You know what I mean. I mean, you know. I mean, I, I shouldn't have said that. I know, but you know my heart. You know what I mean. Come on. Now you're overreacting. You're acting just like your mom. Now, now it's going somewhere else. Now it's about to go downhill. Don't ask me how I know. Here respect, there respect. Remember, everywhere respect's back. But this is what we do. And so it's almost like if you drive a car that is out of alignment, maybe you've had an older car or one that's just not in alignment. If you let go of the wheel, it really wants to turn one way or the other. You let go of the wheel going 70 miles an hour. Maybe it wants to drift to drift right we're the same way in life when you take when jesus is off the wheel we just naturally want to head right towards the ditch boom just our natural tendencies is to look out for self not to be selfless to protect ourselves, our image our reputation not serve other people not serve god that's just our sinful nature in us we just fight it until we're in heaven we're not there yet we're in this chaotic world, so we always feel this tension. It's natural, which is why we need the Lord so much. So in the zone of judging, we have to remind ourselves of the heart behind all of this. Because I think, this is just Nick opinion, biblical judging is simply bringing God's truth into a situation with kindness, with love, with gentleness, with that person's best intentions in mind, not for me to be right and you to acknowledge you're wrong. The goal is healing. The goal is restoration. This is the heart of shining God's light or judgment, not in our cultural sense, because it's always negative and heavy and hard and evil. Don't judge me. You can't judge them. That's not the heart of judging in the Bible. Let's see the heart of it. Now remember, we've read Romans chapter 2, verse 1. Now we're going to read verse 4, so it's in the same zone. Paul continues, 
Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? I begin to think about, what if this is how someone could describe me with other people in my life? I'm like, could they actually write that about me? Like, do you see how wonderfully kind Pastor Nick is? <laughs> tolerant, and patient. I'm like, I wonder if Becky could write that or not. I hope so. Paul continues, does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness, meaning God's kindness, is intended to turn you from your sin? The kindness of the Lord helps people realize their need for the Lord. Not the barky two-by-four that's running into every wall and every doorway in the search of a speck. The heart is bringing God's healing, bringing His Spirit, being reflective of His nature, bringing light into darkness, not to kill someone, but to help heal someone. Are we guilty of being tolerant and patient and kind? Charles Spurgeon, who was just a fire preacher in the 1800s in Europe, he said this, None are more unjust in their judgments of others than those who have a high opinion of themselves. I'm going to look in the mirror before I look at anyone else. This is the commitment that I try to have. Godly judgment, wonderful kindness, patience, these are all ingredients for healing and the hope of God. Number two, write this down. Second action that we can take. First one is I'm never going to judge in a hypocritical way, not going to do it. Second one is this, very practical, and this is one that I think we misunderstand and miss as Jesus followers. So I'm going to try to be pastoral and teachy here a little bit. Write this down. I should never hold non-Christians to Christian standards. We don't hold people who are outside of the family of God to family standards. I'm not going to hold your son or your daughter to our family standards. I'm going to hold my kids to that standard. It's the same way in the family of God. So let's look to where we see our rule and our standard. It is the Word of God. This is where we develop all of our practices and our perspectives. So let's go to the Bible and see what the Bible has to say about this. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Verse 9, when I wrote to you before, this is Paul writing to the people in Corinth. These are Christians. When I wrote to you before, I told you not to associate with people who indulge in sexual sin, period. Now, it would be very easy, and people do this all the time, to just take this verse and say, okay, if you're a Jesus follower, you should not associate yourself. Don't you put yourself around any person that has anything to do with sexual sin. Bible says it, we shouldn't do it. Be judgy about it. Make the church have all these weird worldview perspectives about it. If you just take this scripture just by itself, you could come up with some weird, wacky theology, okay? But we're not going to do that. We're going to keep pushing and see what the Bible has to say about this in Context, did everyone say context? Context. Okay, so we're going to go from verse 9. Let's read the whole thing, including verse 10 and on. When I wrote to you before, I told you, do not associate with people who indulge in sexual sin. 
verse 10, but I wasn't talking about unbelievers who indulge in sexual sin or are greedy or cheat people or worship idols. In other words, all of us before we met Jesus. Hello, there's no perfect people here. He says this sarcastically, and I like it. It's just funny, I think. You would have to leave this world to avoid people like that. You have to leave this whole world. Go to heaven. Verse 11, I meant that you were not to associate with anybody who claims to be a believer, yet indulges. And so you might write this word down, indulges. This is not a mistake. This is not, I'm going along strong and I trip up. This is somebody who has a life pattern, a pattern of sin, a pattern of rebellion, a person who's saying, yes, I'm a Jesus follower, but I am going to do whatever I want. So I say I'm a Jesus follower, but I worship myself. What I want, what feels good to me, I am my own God. I meant that you are not to associate with anyone who claims to be a believer yet indulges in sexual sin or is greedy or worships idols or is abusive or is a drunkard or cheats people. Don't even eat with such people. And this is hard truth, man. Verse 12, it isn't my responsibility. Write this down, circle it, draw a unicorn beside it. It isn't my responsibility to judge outsiders. It's, it's not our job. But it is certainly your responsibility to judge those inside the church who are sinning. God will judge the people on the outside. But as the scriptures say, you must remove the evil person from among you. So let's do some pastoral teaching, some theology on this. This is describing a person that is saying, I'm a Jesus follower, but in reality, they're not. I'm a Jesus follower, but I'm going to lie and steal and cheat and do what I want and worship what I want, cheat on who I want, make myself happy however I want. What Paul is saying is a person like that introduces a cancer into the body. It is a sickness in the body of Christ. Every opportunity should be given for somebody to repent, to change, to come to Christ, to submit. If they won't, if they're obstinate, if they're like, I'm going to do what I want. I'm a Jesus follower. I'm going to do whatever I want. This is my truth. I don't care. It says remove them because it's going to poison and kill the entire body of Christ. This is hard truth. This is not easy to apply. We have only removed two people in the history of Go Church. And we straight up removed them. I'll tell you why. They were in and around Go Church, in and around small groups, and they were spreading this false teaching. It was just straight up heresy that was saying, if you get physically sick, it's because you don't love Jesus enough. And I had a cold that day, so I'm like, that's definitely wrong. No, I'm playing. <laughs> Don't think we just went all rogue and weird and had some dramatic moment. There were conversations, there was sharing of concerns, pastoral concerns, there was sharing from other small group members about how this hurt their heart. I mean, there was a process. This was not some dramatic, weird, legalistic thing. But we went to them and said, this is not accurate. What you're believing and feeling about this issue, this is not biblical, here's why. Showed them, don't care. Showed them, they turn the tables and like, well, you just don't love Jesus enough. 
I'm like, okay. So we removed them. Because these are some of the truths that are easy to understand but hard to apply. And a lot of the Bible is that way. A lot of it's easy to understand but hard to apply. Be slow to anger, slow to speak, quick to listen. Some of us can work on that for six months. That's easy to understand. That's hard to live. That's why we need the strength of God. We need Jesus to live this truth. But I want you to know in the context of all of this, I want to remind you, because it will be very easy to just kind of go sideways or not hear the heart of what I'm saying. What I'm saying is in Go Church, if you are seeking God, you're in the right place. If you don't have your stuff together, you're in the right place. If you're trying to figure out, does God even exist, you're in the right place. If you are in the middle of addiction and you don't know what to do, you're in the right place. If you're in the middle of addiction and trying to stop, you're in the right place. If you are imperfect, you are in the right place. If you're here to try to spread disunity, false doctrine, we talk to you, other churches have talked to you, you're obstinate, you're not going to bend, you're not going to come, you're not going to submit to Jesus, then this is not the place for you. We're going to have it in the body. We're going to ask you to kindly, respectfully leave. But if you are here searching, you love God, you are welcome. You are welcome. There is not a person that is not welcome to come here and experience God and experience friendship. This is the place to grow. This is a place where we are not going to grip judgment's hammer and use that gavelin in our community. We are going to open up our hand, open up our arms, love our community. It's not our job to judge our community or non-believers, it's our job to love them, to serve them, to love them when they least expect it and least deserve it. Why? Because he first loved us. Do you believe that, Go Church? If you believe that, give me a medium, let's go. A little medium. Don't go too heavy. I want Go Church, we want Go Church to be a hospital for the hurting. This is not a Christian country club. It's not. There are some churches that operate like that. They don't want dramatic. They don't want people around that make them nervous. They, they don't want any of that because it makes certain people skittish. We're not going to be like that. We want to be a hospital for the hurting. And this is how Jesus was. Man, for the poor and the brokenhearted, he was there. For people who were rejected in society, he was there. For people who would not even touch them, the lepers of the day, embrace them, heal them. Women, for them all the way in every situation in life. We're going to be that way. We're going to be the Jesus way. Third thing, write this down. I will help believers that have tripped up. Newsflash, I will make a mistake in the next six months. Maybe before this message is over. Maybe. Every year, I'm wrong at least once. <laughs> I'll mess up, man. I, I will say something that I will need to apologize for, or I'll make a mistake with an attitude, and I'll ask you to forgive me. But you know what? You're going to do the same thing, and guess what? I'm going to love you, and I'm going to forgive you, and I'm going to be there for you, and I sure would love it if you could do the same thing for me. How about we both put up with each other's mistakes and we move forward in the kingdom of God? Can we just do that? But I will mess up. Hopefully it won't be a big mess up. 
Hopefully it'd be small. But I've had friends in ministry who've done ministry a long time. They've made some pretty big mistakes. Some they came back from and some they didn't. I have a dear friend who's about seven or eight years older than me. And fabulous ministry, very smart, great family. He started to have some trouble with alcohol. And he's going too far. And it, it was hurting him. He's going over the line, if you know what I mean. And one day his son found him. And he was unresponsive. I mean, he drank so, drank so much that he had passed out. And he was just like his eyes were open, but he was unresponsive, which of course freaked his kid out, the teenager. So called the ambulance to take him to the hospital. He comes, you know, they fix him up and he's okay. But sometimes in the church, we can be weird. We can be super speck oriented. Like, ooh, that, that's an extra dirty speck right there. We, we might have to cut that person off. A super dirty speck. What happened was he acknowledged, he's like, I, I need help. He wasn't obstinate. He wasn't like, I can just do what I, you worry about your own life. I don't care. I'm going to do what I want. He didn't have that attitude. He's like, I need, I need help. I know this is not healthy for me. I know this is not good for me. I'm going over the line. Will you help me? I came to a side. Other Christian ministers, they came to a side. The fellowship he was a part of, they didn't kick him out and remove him. They gave him an opportunity to be restored, to be healed. He went to counseling and he was able through God's strength to come out on the other side and to beat that to God's glory. But I think this should be our spirit in church, in Go Church, is we don't rush to judge in a negative sense. We rush to help. We're first responders, man. How can we help? How can I help? So I will help believers that have tripped up. And I want to encourage you, maybe that's you today, you're in a place where you have tripped up. You're feeling even now like singled out, even though you're not. You're being really hard on yourself. Maybe even though God has forgiven you, you haven't forgiven yourself. I want you to know that just because you've tripped up, that doesn't mean that all hope is lost. You always have hope in Jesus Christ. You're never too far away. As long as your heart is beating, it is not too late. Galatians 6.1 says this, brothers and sisters, if someone, and notice the beginning of that, brothers and sisters, this again is written to Christians, Jesus followers. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should, and then look at that word, restore that person, and then look at the next word, gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. And then look at verse 2. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. You know, Jesus says, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples. Here's how they will know. If you want to know how your neighbor will know, how your coworker will know, this is how they will know, by your love for one another. If we will be this way with each other, for each other, there for each other. If somebody stumbles and the temptation is to isolate because you're embarrassed, we say, no, no, no. When we trip up, if we make a mistake, that's not the time to push away. That's the time to push in. 
That's the time where the family of God, that's the whole purpose of it existing, is in the times of struggle and tripping up and trial. The way that this community is going to know is not from brochures and go truck and signage and Google AdWords and web presence. That's not the real way. The real way that they're going to know that Jesus is alive is by how you treat each other. Jesus said, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples by your love for one another. Will you unselfishly good for the, will you unselfishly choose for the highest godly good of the person sitting next to you? Really, when it is, especially when it's hard. And be unrelenting in that. I'm gonna restore. I'm gonna gently love. I'm gonna bring truth, but I'm gonna bring it in grace and love. The point is restoration. The point is that me being right and you being wrong. It's not me versus you, it's us versus sin. God help us. Come on, go church. Let's lean in. God help us. Help us to be the family that you lived and died and were resurrected for us to be. Help us to love each other the way that you loved us with a sacrificial love, undaunted by persecution or pain, unrelenting. Help us to be stubborn in our willingness to serve each other. God, I pray that you would help us to love each other and as we do your light would shine this community would take notice god help us to all imagine right now in this moment our community saying you know what i've never seen a diverse group of people like this love each other in this way god maybe he does exist because this is impossible to see god help us to love each other in that way to bring you glory to advance your kingdom the most important love that you could ever accept in your life. Hear, hear me today, my friends. Hear me streaming today. The most important love that you could ever experience is the love of your Savior. The love of Jesus Christ, God's one and only Son. And this is the gospel. That God loved you enough that He sent His one and only Son to live the life that you could never live. The one without mistakes, the one without sin, the one without stubbornness. And He laid that perfect life down in exchange for your and my and our messed up lives. He laid down perfection for us, the imperfect. And this is the miracle that while we were sinners, Jesus gave his life for us. Gave his life on the cross. Was put into a tomb for three days. And then on that third day, the game changer. God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, the same power of the Spirit that lives inside of every follower of Jesus, brought Jesus Christ back to life and he is alive and he has a plan for your life today right now starting in this moment and it is to know you for you to know him to be forgiven eternity assured his presence promised in this life and the next how can you do it the bible says that if we will confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, if we will believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And if you want to make Jesus Christ the Lord and the leader of your life, I want you to pray this prayer with me right now out loud. Pray this, Jesus, thank you for speaking to my heart. 
I ask that you would forgive me of every sin. I'm making you the Lord and the leader of my life. And I'm going to live for you the rest of my days. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening to this week's message. To stay in the know with Go Church, be sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at letsgo.church. You can also download our app from the App Store by searching Go Church. Have a great week and God bless.